Last Sunday, we went through the entirety of the Upper Room Discourse, and uh, uh, we're going to move on into chapter 18, uh, but to uh, Jesus, you know, has been at work uh, from day one. You know, he's, he's been doing uh, what he was sent to do. Uh, up to this point, though, uh, we can go back into chapter 17 and see how he kind of summarizes what his work has been up to this point uh, in verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. So, so far his work has been a complete success. and But now he gets into the real physical demonstration of it. And that is in chapter 18. So that's what we'll be doing now. And there's not very much reading for anybody to do, but there is a little bit. So can I get somebody uh, who will be my reader this morning? I will. All right, then. Walton, uh, thank you. And if you could start out by reading. uh, Well, first of all, I'll ask my question. Anybody remember what happens in chapter 18? Jesus before high priest, it says. <laughs> yes, it is Jesus' arrest and his trials are in uh, chapter 18. So, Walton, if you could uh, read verses 1 through 6, that will just kind of give us a launching point. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you see? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Okay, actually, I should have had you stop it. It's fine. <laughs> okay, so these are all um, events that are familiar to us. Um, as usual, John leaves out certain details, and he adds certain details that the other gospel writers don't. Uh so, but in general, we all we all know what is hap- uh, happens here. Judas betrays Jesus. He is uh, grilled by the Sanhedrin. He is grilled by Pilate. He is sent to Herod. Uh, Herod sends him back. Uh, Pilate kind of just turns him over to the mob. And then we have the crucifixion. So, uh, at this point in John's uh, gospel, all the signs are over. Uh, all, all of the uh, kind of foreshadowings of things, of true things, are over and where uh, John turns his attention to the realities 
and about how uh, these things play out for the Son of God on earth. And uh, I'm just going to read down a list of different things that uh, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, is doing here. Or uh, things that we can see happening in him. And it's a rather long list. So if something comes to mind uh, of any form, uh, feel free to to, uh, interrupt me. uh, Because I'm just going to go through these. So, and I'm going to go in in uh, kind of chat in order of how how they uh, happen in the chapter. One of the big things that he does through all this is fulfilling prophecy, and this begins with the prophecy of the betrayal, which was in verse three that Walton just read. Um, the prophecy is in Psalm forty one nine. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Uh, in John, we didn't read this, but in John, uh, in, in this gospel, John has the detail of asking Jesus, who is it who's going to betray you? And Jesus says, it's the one I'm going to hand bread to. And he hands it to, to Judas. So this is very uh, a very direct uh, prophecy that is, that is being fulfilled here. What's that verse on that? Uh, oh, the prophecy is uh, Psalm forty-one nine. Uh, okay, we see here Jesus flatly declares himself God. This is in verse five. Uh, if you have a King James or a New King James, you will see that uh, when uh, Jesus said to them, "I am He," He is in a italics. Mm-hmm. What He actually said was, "I am." Yeah, and they fall back. They fall backwards. Yeah. Uh, so he is he is absolutely once again declaring himself God, um, and this brings us back to John's argument about the logos uh, that uh, that he made in chapter one. This logos that you've been talking about is God. This logos is Messiah, and the logos is Jesus of Nazareth. When Jesus asked them, who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. So we've, we, we, he's, uh, uh, John is still making this argument of Logos, God, Jesus of Nazareth. All right, the next thing we can see is that he shows himself strong. This is uh, in verse 6, uh, which Walton read. He speaks a word and everybody falls to the ground. He is, he is in no way weak. Uh, we see in verse 7 and 8, Jesus willingly submits. When they asked him again, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. So he's, he's not you know trying to get away. He's not trying to cover anything up. Uh, he, uh, he has shown his power to them and yet still submits to the arrest. Um, Jesus, another thing is, he protects his flock. What I just read in verse 8. I'm the one you want, let these others go. As the good shepherd, he is, he is defending his flock against the wolves. Uh, he calls for peace 
In verse 11, Peter has uh, sliced the ear off one of the men there. And he said, and Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? So we are called to peace. Jesus fulfills Caiaphas's prophecy. Uh, John mentions this it, uh, in verse 14. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Uh, you, you know the prophecy is back in chapter 11 that it would, uh, it would uh, be good for one man to die rather than to lose the whole nation. So Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy. Uh, we, another thing we see is Jesus purges Judaism through exposing the high priest. This is in uh, verse 20 and 21. Uh, this is during the questioning. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly in the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have done nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. So he is exposing their ignorance and their uh, separation from the people in the synagogues and in the temple and all these people who heard him. Um, they are not, uh, they don't have any connection to them. And this is what God says in Ezekiel. Um, this is Ezekiel 34. Verse 2, and then I'm jumping to verses 8 through 10. Son of man, not a phrase he uses by mistake, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? As I live, declares the Lord God, Surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand. And will rescue my sheep from their mouths, and oh, sorry, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. So, lots of talk about shepherds, but this is this whole passage in Ezekiel is a condemnation of the Jewish leaders, uh, and Jesus is continuing this uh, condemnation as he answers the high priest's uh, questions. And uh, this also foreshadows the epilogue, which we're getting real close to. <laughs> so, uh, another thing he shows, he shows Peter the vanity of trusting in works. Uh, this comes out in verse 27. Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. You know, obviously, this is the uh, a callback to Christ's warning that Peter would uh, would betray him. Peter declares, "I am with you all the way. It doesn't matter what." And and so Christ is showing him the vanity of works, and of course, Peter stands in the place of all of us. 
another thing we see is Peter is uh, Jesus declares himself to the Gentiles by challenging Pilate. In 36 and 37, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So he's challenging Pilate here, uh, you know, again, and, and it's in a question and answer thing. And he's being just as flippant with Pilate. You, you better believe I'm a king. You said it yourself, <laughs> saying this to the Roman governor. He's just, he's just as in Pilate's face as he was in the, in the high priest's pay, uh, face. Yeah, yeah, and you kind of see that in his uh, in his uh, response, which is the next thing. Uh, Jesus declares himself to be, or he shows himself to be truth in response to Pilate's question, and that is, you know, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, "I find no fault in him at all." That's there's the truth. There's some truth for you. Uh, and he and he only gets this from talking to Jesus directly. Um, the next thing is he is the direct substitute for sin, and this is shown in uh, Barabbas. Verse uh, verse forty. Then they cried again, saying, "Not this man, but Barabbas." Now Barabbas was robber. So this is a very direct substitutionary sacrifice, you know. Uh, but again, Barabbas stands in the place of all of us. Um, uh, you know, he is he, Christ. Obviously, he's a substitution for all of our sin. Uh, but it's it's demonstrated here uh, very directly uh, and obviously in Barabbas. Son of the Father. Yeah, and and so, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know if this is a uh, a tradition or there's some record of this, but his first name was Jesus, according at least according to tradition. So I mean, it's very close there. <laughs> Jesus, Son of the Father. Do you want to take the Son of Man as the real, the true Son of the Father, or the fake Son of the Father? Yeah. 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 Okay. Another thing we see, and uh, here we've got to start. To, uh, well, no, it's not here. But anyway, we begin to see um, Jesus is imputed with guilt under the ceremonial law by being sent to see Pilate. Okay. If we look at verse twenty-eight. We see uh, that the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Um, It was defiling to be in the uh, living quarters of a Gentile. I think this just shows you how blind legalism can become. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're about to kill the Son of God here. They're careful, you know, yeah. to keep the ceremonial law. 
it gets worse. It gets worse. Okay, <laughs> okay let's jump to verse 33, though. What chapter are we in? Uh, still 18. 18. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So, I'm reading that only to, only to bring out that Jesus came into Pilate. He was in Pilate's presence in the praetorium. So, he, he was forced to become unclean according to the ceremonial law. Hmm. He didn't willfully do it. Hmm. Uh, and I don't know, I mean, hmm. I don't know if, how deep you can go into that, really. But uh, it just, just to show that he was compelled to violate the ceremonial law. Uh, and... Uh, he also was imputed with guilt under the moral law by justifying Barabbas. We've already uh, uh, read, well, we read one, one uh, verse. Um, verse 38 through 40 is the whole story. What is, uh, gosh, why did, I, why did I do that? 30, 39 and 40. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And when they cried out, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. So, he is imputed with Barabbas' guilt. Uh, On top of that, Proverbs 17.15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. (coughs) So both things are going on here. Um, Jesus is justifying the wicked by, uh, you know, being a substitutionary for Barabbas. But the Jews are also uh, uh, condemning the righteous, you know, for crucifying Christ. So all this is going on along. So what the, you're saying chief priests and elders here abominations to God. But so does Christ. Huh? So does Christ. And, and in this in this way, Christ becomes sin for us, as as uh, Paul says in Second Corinthians five twenty one, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, so all of this guilt is being imputed on on the Christ, both both ceremonial law and moral law. Uh, now. Uh, just just to stick with that uh, that verse for just a little while, verse twenty eight. Uh, I read it again. Then they said, led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. All right, this is early morning. When did Jesus eat the Passover? The night before, which is according to the law. So these Jewish officials weren't even observing the Passover law correctly. If they hadn't eaten Passover yet, then they were not following the law. Because they were too busy conspiring against Jesus. They spent the entire night conspiring against Christ. And the Passover starts at 6 p.m. It starts at sundown, and that's when they're supposed to eat. That's according to the law. Man. So, Man. pretty darn bad. It's a warm down there this time of year. Um, 
Well, but who knows? Maybe they maybe they heard Peter's speech in uh, in uh, chapter three. <laughs> oh no! What can we do? Poor people on the internet are not going to have any idea what just happened. Okay. Uh, uh, another thing that we can pull out of this, although we have to go into chapter nineteen, is in nineteen eleven. Um, Jesus answered, You could have no power all at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you, to you has the greater sin. So this is uh, Jesus' continued conversation with uh, Pilate. And he's including Gentiles in the guilt for his death. Now, he's pinning it on the Jews more. That's the greater sin. But if you have a greater sin, then you also have a lesser sin. And Pilate was at least guilty of the lesser sin. So, uh, we have Jew and Gentile guilty for his death. And then... That phrase, given to you from above, that's implicating Caesar or the Gentiles uh, at large? I think that means the Father. And it's interesting also that he says, at least in this translation, you have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. So Pilate is telling him that I can set you free, but Jesus is kind of implying here that, no, you don't have any power to set me free. You only have power against me. So his power to send uh, Jesus to the cross is from the Father, and that is to fulfill prophecy. That's one of the prophecies is that uh, God is giving authority to civil authorities. The yes. authority of government comes from God. Yes. But then what do we do with the following sentence? With what? Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. The Jews. The Jews. The Jews have a greater sin, but that doesn't. They're the will. Of, the the will of God does not. Uh, okay. What is it? Uh, exculpate. 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 <laughs> uh, human beings. You know. And, and it's that's that's the mystery, that's of, the mystery. of God's sovereignty <laughs> and man's free will. There is a mystery there that is unsolvable. But you know, I mean, the words of Christ is that you know all, all this is this is the will of God. You're you're uh, li- uh, liable for it. All of us, when we look closer at the crucifixion, see our own guilt. Sure. Mm-hmm. No. Well, the only way to not be guilty is to not be is to be sinless. You know, and that's, <laughs> and that's no, not one. Well, Pilate probably understood Jesus to be talking about Caesar. This, this, this that's very possible. Yeah. Sense as of Jesus, where he said yeah. one thing, those who can hear it hear what he's really saying. Right. You know, Pilate says he finds no fault in him. You know, Pilate doesn't think that Jesus is breaking any, you know, civil rules here. He thinks that he is seeing right. himself as under Jesus' authority. So he right. interpreted Jesus. This goes back to that teaching where Jesus says, whose image is it, Caesar's right. or God's? Um, this well, is sort Caesar's. of that same, that <laughs> yeah. same sort of uh, yeah. playing out. Yeah, so yeah, that's a good point. To, to uh, Pilate, Jesus was saying, yeah. This power came from Caesar, but Jesus was actually saying, "Someone." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more understanding. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good point. God trying to 
Okay, one other thing, and this is also in chapter 19, um, verses 14 and 19. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And then again in verse 19, Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. So, uh, Jesus establishes his kingdom with the word of Pilate. Pilate is like Caiaphas here. He doesn't know what he is saying, but he's acknowledging Jesus as God king. God puts the words in his mouth. All the twice. Were. Twice. Two, two witnesses here uh, within John's gospel. Well, again, it's a slap in the face. He's also saying, you guys think you have a king? All right, I declare this guy king. Yeah. Now I'm killing him. So you can forget your rebellion. So there's always a multiple uh, number of layers, but but he doesn't understand that that he's actually declaring kingdom of heaven. Uh, you know, within the context of kingdom of God. Yeah, and that's and that's why that line is included in the creed, uh, crucified under Pontius Pilate. That's to give time and place. Yeah, it's amazing to me. Yeah, this is history here, not just concepts. Right. So that's that's it for uh, chapter eighteen. Uh, are there any other you know kind of closing comments or or questions or anybody think of something else else that I didn't see? Well, that writing was in three languages, which I'm yeah. the gospels also. Make sure everybody can read it. Yeah. I've mean, in three different languages, right? So, oh God, man, would you like to have that plaque? Henry, <laughs> Jesus Nazareth, King Rich Jews. In the uh, Passion of the Christ movie, when Pilate is questioning Jesus, Jesus is already beaten up pretty bad at this point in the movie, and uh, Pilate asks Jesus in the common tongue, you know, the stuff that they're talking about, and when Jesus replies, he replies in Latin. Uh-huh. Pilate's sort of taken aback. Yeah. It's just, it's just a cool yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. Not something that a lot of people would see. Although you can probably hear the difference if you're really paying attention. I have a question on the sixth hour. This happening, I realize it's in the morning, uh-huh. early morning, and all this is going on. But, uh, but, but, but in my mind, I'm thinking the first hour is six p.m. the night before. You know, I mean, if that well, I starts at sundown. Yeah, um, I don't know how they count the hours. Well. Um, most I think I think the synoptics use Jewish reckoning of time, mm-hmm. which started at sun up, mm-hmm. and so like yeah. the third hour would, would be nine o'clock, and the tw- uh, six hours yeah. noon. Yeah. I think John uses Roman time, uh, which would have been six hour would have been six in the morning. I mean, based on noon, the sun being straight up in the sky at noon, and I think that was my understanding is that's. The Roman way, and that's the way John figures time. As noon or 6 a.m.? Yeah, so in John's gospel, the sixth hour would have been 6 a.m. So you're not what I'm saying. 
kind of seemed like it's an early in the morning. Yeah. You know, the sun's just barely coming up. Yeah. So, yeah, and John they said... Were able to put this crowd together that fast. I mean, you know, this, the, the, uh, the crowd was screaming out for Barabbas. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's move on to chapter 19 then. And uh, anybody know what happens in chapter 19? Well, there's some more prophecy being fulfilled here. <laughs> well, but what are the events? <laughs> yes, Christ is crucified and buried in chapter 19. And we actually have a theme, even though we're doing, dealing with realities here, we have a theme in chapter 19. And uh, so we can ask the question, why did the Logos come among us? The answer is he came to fulfill the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, And as we go through this, uh, like we're just talking uh, about, uh, it's helpful to remember that Jewish days begin at sundown. Uh, So just kind of keep that in mind while we're going through some of this. So, Walton, if you could uh, read verses 14 through 18. Okay. In chapter 19. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find 14. Mm -hmm. It's right after 13. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, 14 through what then? 18. Okay. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Okay, so he came to be our Passover lamb, and therefore John connects the events of the crucifixion with the sacrificial lamb of Moses' Passover. You know, at the very beginning um, he, of that passage, he, he talks about the Passover. So there's that connection to the traditional annual Passover that John is making sure he is making making this connection. Of course, this is not news to us, but this is what he's doing. Uh, and the day was still Passover. It had started the evening before, and at this point, it's probably getting up to 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, now, uh, it says it is the day of preparation of the Sabbath. And what that means is they are preparing for the Sabbath that just happens to follow Passover that year. And it's the very next day. So they are preparing for the Sabbath. Uh, And I'll read you verses 31 here. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And then also 42. So there they laid Jesus. This was his burial. Because of the Jews' preparation day where the tomb was nearby. So they are preparing for the Sabbath. Uh, 
and the uh, the emphasis there uh, on, in both of those uh, verses are things that they can't do on the Sabbath. They have to bury him on the Sabbath. They want him to be dead before the Sabbath. They have to bury him before the Sabbath because you can't do it on the Sabbath. Sabbath law. Uh, so uh, this is part of their preparation. Uh, there's also preparation because uh, that, uh, well, and let me not go there just, just yet. Uh, uh, okay, so the Sabbath, uh, the, the Passover is continuing until sunset on Friday. So it's still, it's still Passover. Okay, and then uh, on top of that, the Sabbath, the next day is also the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is why it's referred to as a high day. It's, uh, it's the start of the next feast. Uh, those of y'all who were in the Wednesday night study about the calendar of feasts uh, a year or so ago may remember that uh, the Passover is on a date certain. It's like the 14th day of that particular month. Uh, the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread is the next day, the 15th of that month. And then the uh, next feast, which is the Feast of First Fruits, is, uh, falls on the first Sunday after Passover. So that's not a date certain, but they just happen to be, this year just happened to be three days in a row. Wow. That's your chances of that happening any given year are one in seven. Because there's seven days in a week. <laughs> so, uh, so that's in the mix here. Um, 13.29. This gives us an, a window into 13.29. Uh, Jesus uh, tells Judas, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And he leaves. Uh, and then 29, some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast or that he would give something to the poor. All right, they're eating Passover. So their assumption that Jesus is sending Judas out to do something financial is not for Passover. They're already, already ready for that. It's for the next feast because they can't do it on the Sabbath. <laughs> The next feast is on the Sabbath, and they can't buy anything for it on the Sabbath. They got to get it done, you know, while it is still today, while it is still Friday. Wonder if he actually did it. <laughs> well, I mean, no, that's that was a false assumption. <laughs> he was not up to any good. He was not giving away money. He was collecting money. Uh, all right. So, uh, uh, so any any thoughts or questions about that? This is amazing, and it's hard for us. It's hard for us to think of the day starting at sun. Yeah, down. it's very difficult. Get that in our head. It's weird. Because all people say, "Well, three days in the grave, three days." But in reality, if you count it the way the Jews looked at it, it's exactly three days. So, yeah, periods of night and periods of day. Uh, so. Um, anyway, here, uh, you know, John is, has a typical pattern of talking about an event. And then adding some teaching to it, some teaching of Jesus. Uh, that's turned backwards here, though, I mean, by necessity. Uh, 
and the teaching really came before the event. Um, the, these events um, are touched upon, uh, for example, in 12, 31 through 33. Now is the judgment of this world, now is the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So he's already taught about what's about to happen. Also, uh, another example is in 17, uh, 1 through 5. Uh, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he would give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself and with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So this is all about his work on the cross. And uh, he's talking about glory, and mo- but mostly he's talking about life. You know, this is John's overall theme is life. And it is life through uh, his work on the cross. Essentially, he says, I'm going to draw all men unto me, which in reality is kind of, if you think about it, it's really true because you, you approach Christ can approach him in several ways. You know, for us, mm-hmm. we acknowledge that he is the true Son of God, that he is God. Some people when they approach the cross and just see that that's not what they see. Yeah. He is the most controversial hey, hey. figure in history. Yeah. And what he has set it up for you, you have to make a decision mm-hmm. pretty much of who he is. And you can't accept who he is according to the scriptures. That's not really who he is. That's really who he is. Okay, well, I've got one more reading for Walton, and uh, um, if uh, and then we'll we'll shut it down for today. Uh, so, uh, verses you know, back in chapter nineteen, verses one through five. Nineteen, one through five. Yeah. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, "Hail." king of the Jews and struck him with their hands Pilate went out again and said to them see I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe Pilate said to them behold the man oh yes that's it and I just (coughs) want to finish up by saying that uh, you know know, I just read uh, a little prayer of Jesus about glory and the shared glory with the Father. Well, this is God the Son in his glory mocked. Uh, And it is used uh, to humiliate him, but also to humiliate the the Jews. You know, it's already been mentioned here. This is is yet another slap in the face that Rome can do this to the king of the Jews and get away with it. And this is also an example of the Pax Romana, the the peace of Rome, and it is through uh, power. 
uh, one of the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse of Babylonian paradigmism. Uh, uh, they, he declares a man innocent, but here he is scourged. You know, and those of you who saw the Passion have a little inkling of what scourging was like. Uh, you know, to have the flesh of his back basically flayed off. Uh, this this is not at all like the peace of Christ, which he promises in fourteen seven. If you had known me, is that correct? Oh no, I'm sorry. 1427. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So, peace of Christ to you all, and not the peace of Rome. <laughs> Did you have something? Yeah, just think of here in this famous passage in Hebrews 6, you know, on the, or whatever, backsliders. Uh, he compares it with this here as they, you know, hold Jesus up to contempt and mock him, and he uses really those words that uh, if they, whatever, and if they then fall away, they crucify again the Son of God to their own harm, holding him up to contempt. Mm-hmm. They sort of put themselves in the category with those. Roman soldiers that are holding him up to contempt and Pilate and Pharisees and all those folks. Yeah. Sounds like. That's not a good situation. <laughs> no, not a good situation. Any other uh, thoughts or questions? Comments? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks uh, for listening and uh, for reading, Walt. Uh, so let's uh, let us go prepare to worship. Worship the King.